following teaching is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church in Burbank, California. We trust that this recording will be a benefit to you and will be a challenge to your Christian faith and walk. For more information about Calvary Bible Church, see our website at calvarybiblechurch.org or call us at 818-556-4840. It started here right in the San Fernando Valley. I was born in uh, Kaiser Hospital Panorama, not too far from here. And uh, I grew up in the valley and met my wife in the valley. All our best friends and people we grew up with are right here. Our, our parents uh, were right. Jessica's parents were in Silmar for many years, at least before we moved over to the Philippines. And my parents uh, ended up moving to Palmdale, so still relatively nearby. So we had our family, our best friends all nearby. Uh, Jessica and I both had good jobs. I worked at Hughes Aircraft for almost a decade, had a pretty good job, and felt very comfortable having home insurance and fire insurance and car insurance and medical insurance and you name it. We both had good jobs and enjoying the U.S., got all the things that we had dreamed of and worked for, and we had no intention of going any other direction in life. And I think in God's wisdom... I suspect that if he would have laid it on my heart to go to the mission field when, say, I was 20, I probably would have done like Jonah and ran the other direction. But he gently, you know, opened doors and moved me in that direction as he prepared me for that. So as comfortable as we were and we had a certain direction of life, didn't think about the mission field or even really ministry um, as a vocation, something changed in our lives. Something caused us to desire, not just be willing, but to desire, to be passionate about leaving all those things we worked for, our family, our friends. We were right near our home church where I served and, and ministered. Something caused us to joyfully leave that. It caused us to change our direction in life. Something changed the way we viewed the world. And then my wife and I, fundamentally inside, we changed. Today... We will see that being a Christian or being a follower of Jesus Christ should change all of us. Every one of us will change if we're truly following Christ. We will be transformed over our lifetimes. Well, for me, that change began, I guess I, at least if I'm, I'm looking back and trying to trace it, I think it began when I started being obedient in simple things. When I was working at Hughes, I just realized, you know, God wanted more from me than just expressing that I believe in him and going to church on Sunday. I said, you know what, I, I read the Bible sometimes, but I'm supposed to be a follower of Christ, and I don't know everything about him. I'd like to know more. I should read more. So at my job, I had uh, two 15-minute breaks during the day, and then I had a, I think I had, it was an hour lunch, I believe. And I just used to, instead of sitting in the the break room, whatever, and gossiping with everybody or, you know, not redeeming the time, I went out to my car where it was quiet. And I just brought my Bible with me. And before I knew it, I had read the whole Bible. And I was, something that I thought was impossible because I thought, this is too big. Have you seen how big the Bible is? There's no way I can read a book like that. And I was amazed that, wow, if I just half an hour a day, I could read it in a whole year. I was really surprised. Well, as I started reading it, God started doing a lot of work in my heart. I started connecting a lot of dots, you know, understanding um, his plan for me, who he is, what he had done. 
And he put it on my heart to be more involved to serve in church. So, okay, let's first thing, all right, let's see how he responds. He, I obeyed, reading the word. And I think God said, all right, you, you're doing that, that's good. Then he put it on my heart to serve in church. And I started serving with the youth group. They needed someone to help with worship and mentoring uh, high school students. And so I started doing that. And as I obeyed that, then God put the next thing in my heart. You need to get better equipped to teach these kids and better equipped just to be the man of God that he wants me to be. So I started going to the master's college at night. It worked out while I was working at Hughes. It was great. I didn't have to leave my job. I, you know, I was still in my comfort zone, still near my family and friends, you know, had all my insurance and everything lined up. And, oh, this isn't too tough just to go one night a week for the next few years or so. So I did that. And it was funny, in that class, it's a small cohort, actually, Shelby Colin was one of my classmates there, and uh, I I don't remember how many there were, maybe a dozen of us or so, 10, 12, and one of the guys in my class there was a missionary on furlough from the Philippines. And as he began sharing the needs there and how, you're talking now a country of 100 million and what a small percentage of them um, know Christ um, how few uh, good churches there are there. My heart began to burn. And then I had this teacher named Mark Tadlock, and I one stat that stuck with me, I know it's not the same today. These stats are probably 15 years old, but at that time he said, America has about 90% of the world's wealth and only about 6% of the world's population. And I'm like, I just felt convicted. Wow, this guy's living in a country with 100 million people with... Very little resources, not just financial, not just money, but Bibles, books, translations, um, good churches. Even today, that's one of my burdens is I'm, I'm at church. I, I miss it when I come here. Just, just to sit down with someone and have a good theological conversation who gets where I'm at. And we can just talk about these things or it can stretch me and has gone farther. And I don't see that there. Well, that's, that's why we're there. That's why missionaries get sent out. But uh, Dr. Tatlock's heart and that missionary uh, just got me really thinking about how God wanted to use me, and that's when he planted the seed for missions. Again, that was not, not what I imagined. I had a good job. I had my career. I was already set. You know, I, was, I was paying into my 401K and all that stuff. Well, prior to that, I had a very different ambition in life. I was a very different person, you know. I, before God gently moved me towards ministry and then the mission field, my dream was to be a rock star. At, yeah, at 12 years old, I had uh, three posters, I, really big ones. I pulled them off my wall, and some guy was willing to trade his little junky guitar for my three posters. And So I started with that, started playing at 12 years old, and... Um, you know, wrote a lot of songs and played in a lot of clubs, and that that was the dream. But, you know, God showed me he had a different purpose and plan for my life, and he slowly, as he worked on my heart, that became my passion. Now, my circumstances aren't different than anyone else's. You know, being a missionary, for instance, it's, that's not reserved for this special group of Christians. Missionaries are no different than anyone else. And really, my job is no different than your jobs here. I just... God calls some to go and do that in other places where there's less resources and less gospel and less believers. And he calls some to stay and send people like that. But one thing that we do have in common is that all believers are called 
to change over time. God works in the hearts of all of us to change. He promises that in Scripture. He promises to conform us into the image of His Son. And, you know, that happens at different paces. So before I get anyone, you know, depressed or feeling guilty, um, some of us have a radical change and they're on fire and completely different the next day after we got saved. Myself, I grew up in the church, so to speak. My mom was a believer, and she, from an early age, was reading to me and teaching me the gospel and living it before me. And so I didn't have this radical change that I got pulled out of, you know, drugs and prison and this and that. Um, I was a decent kid from worldly standards looking out, but all of us will change. And I can look back at myself I can look today and how I am now, and I can look back a year, five years, ten years, and I can see how God has been growing me and changing me, even preparing me for the mission field, like as I mentioned. That was about an eight-year process of getting me to let go of the things I was holding on to here. I remember at one point saying, okay, Lord, I'll go to the mission field wherever you want me to go as long as there's good hospitals because i got two kids with asthma, you know, and it's safe. I don't want to put my family in jeopardy. At the same, I think that was around the time I was at the Master's College, and God worked over two years during that time to get me to realize, you know what? If, if God were speaking to me, what I realized is, those kids aren't yours. They're not mine. God just really got me to recognize, you know what? You just, I'll worry about your kids and your family. You just worry about obeying me. And uh, so then I got to the point where, Lord, wherever you want to send me. But he put it on my heart to go to the Philippines, and people ask a lot of times, well, do you go to the, did you go to the Philippines because your wife's a Filipina? Actually, no. We had no inclination of even going there. Um, God, in his preordained plan, knew he was sending me there. So I think he used her to help prepare me for the culture. I had good, you know, I don't know, 15 years of training in the culture before I even moved there. I already knew a lot of Filipino ways and diet, and so God was preparing me. But again, I was a different person. We are all different people before God saves us and then as he changes us he keeps making us more and more like him i think one of the best examples in scripture at least my favorite is the life of the apostle paul of looking at a man who was radically different from what god turned him into you may know him as a faithful man of god who spent his life serving the lord God used him to bring the gospel amongst the, the nations, to the Gentiles. He wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. He was a man who uh, gave his life in service for the Lord, but he was, we might forget sometimes, how different he was before that. See, before that, he was committed to destroying the church. He believed that Jesus was a liar, a false teacher, a false messiah, and a dead founder of a radical group of people who followed this dead guy who was leading them in blaspheming the God of Israel. That was the thinking Paul had before. That Jesus was a liar. His hatred for Jesus and his followers was so intense that he wasn't content to simply drive them out of his city, Jerusalem, that he was living at the time. He didn't just simply, good riddance, fine, we finally got rid of those guys. No, he goes to the leadership, hey, give me, give me letters of permission. I'm going to go out and get these guys wherever they're at. And he went to city after city, at least that was his plan, to arrest them and bring them back to be tried for blasphemy. Scripture described Paul as 
a persecutor of the innocent in 1 Timothy chapter 12. It also describes him as a violent man and a blasphemer. We get a little insight into Paul in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, where it tells us he was covetous. He recognized that about himself. He was probably a murderer or at least a, an accessory to murder. And regarding his relationship to God, it was clear that he was trying to be accepted by God through his works, through keeping the law and what he did, not by God's grace. He didn't understand that. Listen to Paul's own testimony about himself in Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11. If you want to follow along, I'm just going to read him giving a glimpse of the old Paul, his old self in Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11. And while you're turning, let me just also mention, I noticed in the bulletin, probably my fault, uh, it's the wrong text that I'm going to focus on in, in just a little bit. But today we're going to be focusing on 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll, I'll repeat that in a little bit. But for now, we're going to look at Paul's testimony about himself in Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 9. Listen to what he said. Reflecting on his past, he said, I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. As I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. That was the old Paul. He was like a machine. If you ever saw the movie The Terminator, he was like the Terminator after Christians. He was determined to destroy them. However, he was changed after a meeting with Jesus on his way, on his way to arrest his followers. And as a result of that meeting, he didn't just ease up or calm down a little bit. When the Lord Jesus stopped him and blinded him, says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? His answer was, Lord, is that you? And I'm sure in his mind he's going, oops. So when that connected, he realized, my bad. I was completely wrong. Jesus made him an instant Christian at that moment. I love sharing this passage with my Armenian friends who emphasize God's, uh, excuse me, he would emphasize man's free will. And we choose God. He, he, he wouldn't force us. It's, a, it's up to us. And I go, hmm, here's a pretty good little story for you here. Look at when Paul was going to arrest Christians. Jesus basically said, guess what, Paul? You're a Christian now. Thank you for signing up and go to this city. I'm going to tell you how you're going to serve me. You're going to stand before kings and governors. You're one of us now. Yes, Lord. And he went. And after that meeting, Paul didn't simply just, okay, I, I messed up. Let me quietly go back to Jerusalem. He was radically changed. He went from being one of the church's greatest enemies to one of its greatest soldiers. The God that he was fighting against and the people that he was trying to destroy became his God and his people. Paul went from being a persecutor of the church to a prisoner for the church. And scripture revealed that Paul was so changed that immediately after his encounter with Jesus, after the scales fell from his eyes, he began to preach the gospel. 
It's like, wow, I've been so wrong. What am I doing? Let's go. Find me a synagogue. I've got to tell people about this. He also went on to take up collections for some of the poor and needy Christians that he tried to destroy, and he continued preaching the gospel in many places, including Jerusalem, the place that gave him permission and commissioned and sent him out to arrest Christians. He went back there preaching the very message that he was trying to destroy. Paul went beyond Israel and even preached the gospel in Greece and Macedonia and Rome and in various synagogues and homes. He spent the rest of his life training up leaders, going on mission trips, sharing the gospel, planting churches and equipping the saints. He was even imprisoned for Christ multiple times. He was beaten for him. He was persecuted for him. He was willing to die for him. When some of his friends tearfully tried to prevent him from going to what looked like uh, sure imprisonment and possibly death, he told them in Acts chapter 21, verse 13, he says, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What a difference. He's going out and trying to destroy Jesus and his followers And now he's ready to die for them. And no one can stop him from doing that. Even his friend's tears. He joyfully gave himself for Christ and his church because God had changed him. And what we're going to see this morning is that truly following Jesus changes everything. So if you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 17. We're going to see three ways that Paul was changed. Three ways that all of us should be changed if we're really following Jesus. You see, following Jesus changes our reason for living. Following Jesus should change our worldview. And following Jesus should change our very nature, who we are inside so let's look, follow along with me as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. We can hear the gospel's transforming power in the life of Paul. This is what he wrote, referring to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. Jesus died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore... From now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So again, if you're truly following after Jesus, it's not just... That you own the Jesus t-shirt. You have the bumper sticker on your car and you have a, you know, a cross on a necklace. You move your bookmarker and your Bible each day. I'm not talking about what you do outwardly, but I'm talking about your heart. That would cause those things to happen. If you're truly following him from the heart, then you can expect to see changes in your life. And we see that in Paul in verse 15. We can see the the degree of change that went on in his life. Because living for him changes the way you invest your life. Not everyone's going to do like I did and quit my job and go to seminary and, and move to another country. But 
It should cause you to change. That might be in your cubicle at work. Maybe you start a Bible study at the office. Maybe you go to one that's been happening for a long time, but you never made it a priority. Maybe it's the way you raise your children or the way you talk with your friends or the friends that you make or what you do in church. There's there's so many areas it can affect. Looking at Paul, we can see a situation that might have caused many people to get upset, say, how could God allow this to happen to me? After all, I I go to church, I serve him, I read my Bible. Paul ended up in prison for it. And rather than getting mad at God, he saw it as an opportunity. So he's standing in trial before a king named Agrippa and a governor named Festus. And what does he do? I mean, I can see very reasonably that him pleading for his life, you know, um, using the legal system and trying to save his skin. Instead, he shares the gospel with these guys. The Roman government that he used to work with to arrest Christians, now he's sharing the gospel with some of them and, and pleading that they'll come to know Christ. So while Paul was there on trial before them, Festus replied to him as Paul is sharing the gospel and reasoning with them. He says, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad in Acts chapter 26, verse 24. This is not the first time that Paul, his zeal for Christ, for the gospel, for the church, was mistaken for insanity. Even the passage we're looking at today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it seems that Paul is kind of answering back someone who's thinking, why are, why are you so different, Paul? Why are you dedicating your life to this? He goes, look, the love of Christ is compelling me. It's constraining me. I can't help but make Christ known. If, if you think I'm crazy for that, you know, the only thing I'm crazy for is serving my master and making him known. My, the Sean Ransom paraphrase version of that. Well, the new way that he had lived in his time and culture caused people to believe that he had lost his mind. How about yourself? Does anyone even know you're a Christian? Or do you have family members that think you're losing it? You're a, what do they say today? You're a fundamentalist or you know, you're a zealous, radical. Those should be compliments that Christians wear bravely on their sleeves if we are godly, loving people, and people see the change in our life, and they notice, wow, what happened to you? It's all you talk about is this Jesus stuff. Oh, thank you. Glad you noticed. Let me tell you some more about him. So what was it that so radically changed Paul? What caused him to leave his career, his home, his family? Um, He left Jerusalem often. I mean, I, I was in Greece a couple of years ago, and as we're flying or driving on these um, air-conditioned buses on these smooth roads through the mountains for, that separate the northern part of Greece from the southern part of Greece, it just struck me, wow, Paul entered the northern part of Greece in Macedonia, went to uh, Nicopolis, uh, Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, he went down to Athens, I'm thinking... Man, it took us eight hours in a bus that must have been going at least 60 miles an hour or so. 
I can imagine how long it would take. We were on roads that were carved out of the mountains. He had to go through these canyons and stuff and, and the temperatures and just what he did. It's like, what would drive a man to walk by foot and do all that just to tell people the simple message that Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay for their sins and if you follow him, he's going to cleanse you of those sins so that you can be holy and live with him forever and enjoy him forever. Well, we see in verse 15 what compelled Paul. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul said, Jesus died for all so that they who live... There's a little clue there. We got this little tension. He died for all. Does that mean everyone's going to heaven? But then, so that they who live... Who are they who live? He died for all who lived and all those who believe in him might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. This verse reveals the reason for Paul's change. He realized that the Father's love for us, even though we were by nature's, by nature objects of his wrath, but his enemies, um, already bound for destruction, we couldn't please him, and yet, he still sent his son to die for people like us, like that. Paul realized that and he's blown away. He realized, wow, I was murdering his people. I was trying to destroy his church. I was covetous. I was a persecutor. And yet he still chose to save someone like me. Or like me and like you. Paul realized that. He realized that Christ died for all. In other words, Jesus' life is the one and only sacrifice that God has provided for all. Most people are not going to receive that provision of forgiveness of sins, but that's the one that God has provided for all. And those who live, that is those who believe the truth of His Word, they hear it, they believe it, and belief is seen in their changed lives and obedience to it, he says his sacrifice is the one and only means to save them. And those who live, those who believe, that is, those who truly follow Jesus will change. They change their purpose for living. Paul said that in this verse, 1 Corinthians 2, excuse me, 2 Corinthians sorry, 5, 17. Oh, I'm getting all jumbled up here. 15, hopefully I didn't thoroughly confuse you. He said, those who are changed by Christ no longer live for themselves. Their lives are no longer spent in the sole pursuit of self. They no longer focus on their advancement, or at least for their own glory. Uh, they're no longer focused on their own success, their own fame, and their own interests. You know, the new me, the new you says, okay, maybe the Lord's blessed you with success. The old you is success for self, getting farther in the job, maybe making more money, doing more for your family, your circles or whatever. The new me, the new you, how can I glorify God where he has me in my job, in my school, wherever he takes me? Paul put it this way in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I've, I've died to my old life. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life 
which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I like the way the New Living Translation translates this verse. In essence, he's basically saying um, life or living is living for Christ. That's what real life is. That's real joy. That's real satisfaction. That's what it's all about. Not living for self, but living for him. And nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will bring the joy like that does. And so instead of living for self, Paul said that those who follow Jesus live for him who died and rose again on their behalf. I remember that's what happened for me when I was in my youth. I don't know, I don't know how old I was. I, I'm not even sure if I was a teenager yet, but I was at a Christian camp. And I remember the pastor sharing a message, and he was sharing, you know, the crucifixion. Heard it many times. I, I remember as a kid in Sunday school having the little picture with the cross and all that, and coloring the cross and, you know, the tomb. I, I knew those stories. Perhaps uh, I had just grown callous, but I, I never really thought of the implication. Maybe the Lord hadn't given me the eyes yet to to um, just appreciate the gravity of that. And at that camp, when that guy was preaching, he talked about Jesus dying on the cross from a medical perspective. I was transported there. I, was, I could see myself at the foot of the cross and seeing Jesus just trying to stand, pushing up with his, on this nail on his legs just so he could get a quick breath and then back down. And, as, and he's bleeding. And I just never put that together, never thought about it. And then, and then it just hit me. He did that because of me, because of us, because of our sin. And he willingly and joyfully did that. And that just changed. My life became about living for him. How, how could the knowledge of that, knowing that, how can, when we realize he died and rose again on our behalf, how can that not affect us? If you really believe that and you can feel the weight of that, it's going to change you. Believing that Jesus sacrificed himself to save us should motivate us from our, our daily plans, our, our future, whether in our homes, the office, at school, or as we run around during the day, even little things, mundane, getting a haircut. You know, maybe before the old us, we could just get a haircut and not say a word and get out. Hopefully the new us is looking for opportunities to share the gospel building up relationships with people around us to let them know of what Jesus has done in our lives. It should cause us to invest ourselves in the things that are important to God, like His people, like the church, and like the lost. Well, the natural change that we should expect to occur in in our lives when we believe in Christ is the desire to live for Him. No matter what, where that might take us, our, our purposes and our direction should change. But that's not the only change we'd see in this passage in the life of Paul. Being saved not only changes our reason for living, it also changes our world view. We should see the world with a new set of eyes, a new faith, a new way to analyze and process the world. When we become followers of Jesus, he transforms the way we evaluate all life. And in verse 16, we see that after becoming a follower of Jesus, Paul's worldview was radically changed. 
when he realized what Christ had done for him, that he died and rose again on his behalf, a man who tried to destroy the church, he says, therefore, now that I understand this, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. The new Paul viewed everything, including people, with his transformed mind. Verse 16 teaches us two things about human thinking. One is that apart from Christ, with untransformed minds, we evaluate the world with external human and worldly standards. Our culture shapes us a lot in the way we think. Uh, Our unbelieving friends and family have a big influence on us. And before we know Christ, that's how we filter everything that comes our way. Well, another thing we learn about thinking and judgments from this passage is the way God's people change. See, when we understand the word, when God gives us faith, we are then able to analyze the world and see it the way God sees it. We are able to understand truth. It tells us in in Scripture, I think it's, what is it, 1 Corinthians? Uh, well, that's what happens when you go extemporaneous and you uh, get off your notes. But I think it's, uh, it's 1 Corinthians, and I think it's chapter 2. Some of you can probably help me here. But it says, the word of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. And without the Spirit of God, we can't understand it. So before the old us, before we were saved, we look at the word of God and it we can't understand it or appreciate it for the full value and meaning that God intends for it. For it, And so, even though Paul said we knew Christ a certain way, we looked at him according to the flesh, according to the world's standards, according to the world's thinking, what the, what the rabbis and, and the Pharisees would say at that time, he says, yet now we know him this way no longer. Like Paul, many people have a wrong understanding of who Jesus is, and what he has done. And, you know, to be honest, like all of us, when you were saved, did anybody here just have a really good, solid understanding of the Trinity? Was there anyone, anyone here had it figured out the day you got saved? Like, oh, man, I could write a dissertation on that. But, well, my point is, even having an say, an elemental understanding of what God has revealed about his, his nature in Scripture, that was still enough to be saved. And you should be able to look back and go, wow, I've learned so much more. I understand that so much more clearly now than when I first got saved. And much of theology, much about God. We should be able to say, I'm, there's things that I understand about the Lord now that I didn't when I was a young, young man. Uh, there were things I wasn't mature enough, I wasn't ready for. Um, there's things that I've gone through in life now that have helped me understand things better. God continually grows us and shapes us where before we couldn't see those through fleshly human eyes. Trying to understand God in the flesh is, is an attempt to evaluate truth with the fallen, sin-cursed mind. I think we often forget that. We, we tend to think we're basically good people. And, you know, before I got saved, you know, I wasn't a... Um, serial killer or anything like that you know i was a decent person we don't realize how sinful we are and how holy god is and we forget that our minds were in bondage and slavery to sin i like this example of these scribes who watched jesus in mark chapter 3 verse 22 they watched him cast out some demons in front of them 
some of these scribes like these, they watch Jesus, you know, they might have someone with a withered arm. There's one account where Jesus says, person's got an arm. You know, someone who's dead, buried for several days, bodies rotting and stinking. Jesus says, get up, come out, heal them. Mark 3.22, these people, rather than responding by falling on their knees when they're seeing Jesus do these kind of things and saying, the Messiah that we've been so eagerly professing to come and waiting for and longing for, he's here. The things we would expect the Messiah to do, he just did them. Praise God, he's here. That wasn't their response. It was, oh, he, he is possessed by Beelzebub and he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the response of some of the Jews was, we got to kill this guy. Not praise God, this poor man who's helped so many is, is raised. We got to kill Lazarus again and this Jesus. We see lots of stories that people see with their eyes, but because they view everything, not a biblical worldview, but with fleshly eyes, it doesn't make sense in the, in the way that would be necessary to be right with God. But the new transformed Paul here in verse 16 says, Now, he just met Jesus on the road and radically transformed. He says, Now, we don't know him this way anymore. We don't know him this way any longer. The new Paul's worldview caused him to see Jesus correctly and not from a sinful human perspective. He didn't think he was just a good teacher, a wise sage, a prophet among many prophets. He recognized that he is God incarnate in human flesh. Anyone who sees Jesus in these other ways, like a good teacher, a prophet, false messiah, they're evaluating him through fallen human eyes. Well, not only do... Did he have wrong views about Jesus? And do, do we have wrong views about Jesus before we follow him? But Paul and us also viewed life from a worldly point of view. It's funny. I, 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 I'm going to bet that you can identify with me. But I know that I, I, there's movies that I was excited to show my kids. I have, I have six kids. And as they got older, like, oh, great, my... My little guy is a little older now. He can, he'll enjoy this Raiders of the Lost Ark. I remember really liking that as a kid. So then I put it on and I see my kid's eyes kind of, and I'm, oh my, whoa. <laughs> I forgot that stuff, stuff was on there or, or I approved of it. It was fine when I, years ago, but the new me wouldn't watch that stuff. The new me is shocked by things that didn't used to shock me. And I, I don't even want to, I, I named that movie because it's relatively tame. There's a bunch of movies that, I watched in the past, and I don't even want to admit to having watched them. I'll just say, without saying the title, I watched one movie that I thought was so funny for years, and I hadn't seen it in 20 years. I put it on, and I, I couldn't finish watching it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought that was funny? And that's just a little illustration of how we should be able to look back at our old selves and go, wow, I'm, I'm not the same as I was. I have a different worldview. The Word of God is filtered through my, my heart and my mind and changed the way I view the world and the things I used to approve of or practice. You know, now I'm, I'm fighting against those. I'm turning from those things. Well, following Jesus will change not only our reason for living and the way we view the world, but following Jesus will also change our nature. Look at verse 17. Following Jesus even changes our instincts, our, our feelings, and our desires. 
Paul said it this way in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she, I hope you don't mind me adding she, I know it's not in the original text, but I feel pretty safe to conclude that Christ is uh, changing men and women and died for men and women and uh, the old things have passed away for both men and women who recognize that Christ came and died on our behalf. And so the old things have passed away and behold, the new things have come. Paul concluded that everyone who is in Christ is changed. That is, everyone who is in union with him, everyone who has been accepted by God, everyone who has been granted eternal life and an inheritance in heaven, everyone who enjoys the privilege of knowing God's heart, they have been and are being transformed. I just repeated kind of the same thing, describing what a follower of Christ is in many different ways. You know, those who are in union with him, those who are accepted by him, those who are granted eternal, those are all restatements of the same thing. Those are describing followers of Christ and the benefits. We are made new creatures that can also be translated new creations of God. The very desires of our hearts are changed and oriented God's way. I could think back to certain things that I practiced. Had no problem with it. I used to be, I was in the Army National Guard years ago, and uh, if you ever heard this, you know, that people say, oh, he cusses like a sailor. Military guys cuss a lot, and uh, I was not unscathed coming out of the military. And um, I had a mouth on me, and I'd just be so embarrassed if, if there was a recording of me, the old me. If you could hear that, I'd be so embarrassed because that's not me now. Uh, you know, granted... God's changing us, and we still struggle with our, our thoughts and, and our words and our actions. But if we're really his followers, he's continuing to make us like him. Since we are made new, Paul wrote that the old things have passed away, like our old value systems, our old priorities, our beliefs, our loves, our plans are gone. Evil and sin may still be present. I shouldn't say may. They are still present in our lives. We still battle with that. But we see them in a new perspective and they no longer control us. Sin is no longer our master. We're no longer helpless to stand against it. The new us has permanently replaced the old nature and we now have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Before our minds were in bondage or slaves to sin, uh, we were unable to please God. We were unable to have complete victory over sin. We often enjoyed and improved of sinful behavior. We enjoyed friendship with people who practiced sinful lifestyles. We were justly found guilty and we were condemned for our sins. I guess I should be fair. Um, that describes me. I'm assuming it describes all of you. Am I, am I right? Before you were saved? And yes, we still battle. Here's the good news. The old is gone. The new has come. These have passed away. Now, for those who are in Christ, new things have permanently come. Now the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins. We have godly sorrow over our sin that leads us to repentance. There was things I used to do and didn't think a second thought. Maybe a fleeting, eh, mom said that was wrong. Church said it was wrong. Oh, well. And I'd go on. Very little to no conviction. But now... There's something that inside, even if I still sin, there's something inside, oh, that wasn't right. I may have trouble sleeping for a little while. I may have this 
lingering guilty feeling for a while. It's just the Holy Spirit graciously and gently reminding me that doesn't glorify me. I had to die because of things like that. It's, it's actions like that is what separated you from a holy God. And it's only by my grace that you're forgiven for those things. Stop living like a slave. Like you're not mastered by that anymore. The new us should have a growing hunger for God's word and, and a growing hunger to worship and glorify him. A desire to serve him. Now we are declared righteous and forgiven for all of our sins. So no matter what our past was, God forgives us and makes us new. He's in the business of changing people like me, like the Apostle Paul, like you. He's happy and eager to do that. And through Paul's life, we have seen that everyone who has been saved changes. This is it's not optional. This if you take what happens if you take some a pot with some good soil in it you put a seed in that soil good fertilized soil you water it and you expose it to sun what what happens there it's it's going to sprout and grow what happens if you held the seed really hard and you try to keep that from coming out it's going to pop out between your feet have you ever seen um like a plant or grass in the st- growing weeds in the street I've seen that many times. I'm going, how the heck can this happen? This, this is completely paved over. You would think everything's dead underneath it, and yet there was a little seedling in there that got a little bit of water and a little sunlight, and you couldn't continue. You couldn't stop it. I've, I have roots in my house that are lifting up the sidewalks. You just you can't stop the growth, and that's what happens with believers. If you're genuine, if you're really a follower of Christ, you cannot stop it. You will change at different paces, and even in our own lives, we might have. You know, a few steps, do kind of like this, and a few steps forward, and a few steps back. But we're, the pattern and the trajectory is going to be continuing to go and be more and more like Christ. And so, following Him changes our reason for living. It changes our worldview, and it changes our nature. So, I just want to leave you with this homework assignment for the week. In light of what I've shared, evaluate yourself. Look at yourself now, and ask yourself. Am I the same today as I was a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago? If the answer is, wow, yeah, you know what? I speak the same. I act the same. I think the same. I haven't seen any change. Then you need to talk to someone. If that concerns you, you need to talk to one of the pastors here or your Bible study group, someone you trust, and say, you know what? I'm noticing that I... What I'm, I'm going to church, I'm, I'm reading the Bible, I got the shirt, I got the sticker and all that, but it hasn't changed me. Then you, you should be concerned. It could be that you're not really trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you can look back and say, wow, you know, I, I can see that I, my thinking is different, my speech is different, the way I t- treat my, my wife or my husband or my children, the way I respond to stress, it's not perfect, but it's different than being encouraged. That's a symptom that you are a genuine follower of Christ. But I, I encourage you to look, that, look at that this week. Do a little diagnostic test on yourself and see if you can trace back and see a change. Well, let me pray. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful to change us. We won't change alone, Lord. You're the one who is faithfully working in us to make us like you. You've sent your spirit to empower us. 
to help us to love your word, to give us a desire for that, to grow that, to change us by it, to help us to obey it and live it. I thank you for that, Lord. I pray that every one of us who is happy to profess that we are your followers, that we would take even more joy as we look back on our lives and be encouraged that we see your hand in our life in growing us. I pray that as we continue to grow, we would joyfully serve you and bring you much glory. And like Paul, we would be compelled by your love to share the gospel and to urge men and women to be reconciled to you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I just wish you all a happy Lord's Day. Have a great Thanksgiving. And thank you so much for your prayers and support of not only my family on the mission field, but all the missionaries that you support. We are happy to do God's work on your behalf. Our fruit is your fruit. Thank you.